All right, we're going to continue just kind of being in the book of Ephesians. I do have a scratchy cat story today, so if you're wondering about that, um, stay tuned. It will appear sometime, but you don't know when, so you can't leave and go and just get a snack because I'm not going to tell you when the story will arrive, but it will. Let's read the end of chapter 3 of Ephesians, and then the first verse, which is actually half a sentence or a third of a sentence of Ephesians chapter 4. And the big idea is this call for Christians to live like this is true. Greg was speaking about it and singing about it during worship today. But this call for Christians to live like everything God has done in them and through them and for them is true. And so we're going to begin moving to that part of the book Someone has mentioned before that the first half of Ephesians is all what God has done, and the second half of Ephesians is all how we ought to respond to what God has done, and there's a lot of truth in that. But let's read the scriptures. These are the very words of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Father, would you help me as I want to share your word in a way that impacts your people's life? And Father, I pray you'd help each one of us, Lord, whether they're sitting at home or they're getting... Um, itchy couch cushions and wanting to move, whether they're having a snack right now. God, whether they're live streaming this later today or, or weeks or months later, I pray that you'd profoundly impact the thinking, feeling, and actions of your people and that you draw all people to yourself, Lord, and you'd use this little offering of mine as part of your global and eternal purpose to glorify Jesus in the world. And amen. I am sure I've shared this story before, but I want to share it again. The time where I failed my first English essay at university. Does anybody remember that one? Okay, I have one, one head-shaking no, and when you only have 10 people in the building, that's 10% of the people right now. So I've got a tithe of people who don't know this, at least, so I'm going to share this. I went to university back in B.C., still a fairly young guy. I think I started going there. I was only 17 or 18. And... You have to do lots of essays at university. I did, at least. And I was in an English class, and I handed in my first essay. And when I got it back, I got this big, gigantic F on it. Just like a solid fail. Just like fail, faily, fail, fail. If I was had a Scottish last name besides Belfort, I'd be faily McPhail a lot. That I just failed it. It was just total failure, just... Not even one nice thing in the entire essay on all the marks back. I had just catastrophically, solidly failed this essay. And so I went to talk to the professor about it, and he was a really nice guy. I think the English department in universities attract, like, pacifists and quiet talkers because you don't have a lot of intense English professors. And uh, anyhow, I went and talked to him, and though he was really nice and a gentle speaker, when I asked him why I failed, he said, well, just look at what you gave me. I was like, this is misspelled, this sentence, the punctuation is terrible, it doesn't make any sense. You repeat yourself four or five times in here. It's just, it's just, you failed it. And I went away from that meeting with the professor, 
and something happened in me, and I got really riled up about failing this thing. And I didn't want to fail it again. I, I, I was actually at school. I was paying for it to be there. And, but it, I, maybe it was even a pride thing. I, just, I was provoked at being informed that I had really blown it and sucked in this essay that I had done. And so I determined that I was going to do better. And I needed help, but I ended up working really hard on the rest of this English class and did okay. I think I ended up with a B in it, which is good enough for me most of the time. Anyhow, just it turned out that English was actually my worst subject at university, but because I had to work at it and I was determined to have to work at it, I ended up majoring in it because it was the most satisfying subject to get to get a good mark in because I was so bad at it. That to actually do okay in it, I had to work hard and think, and it drew out of me more than other subjects that came very naturally or easily. And I ended up graduating with it, and, it, and we called it my burger-flipping degree because um, what do you do with an English degree? But it turns out that the most important book in the world uh, is the Bible written by God, and God is a novelist and a poet and a historian, and he does a lot of writing. So actually being good at reading books is, is really helpful for walking with God, it turns out. So there's a little blessing there. But all of that went back to, and I could even tie this into other things. Because I was in the English department, I made friends with people who were in the English departments. And because one of them was going to Regent College, I heard about Regent College, and he was going. So I thought about going, which led me to Vancouver, and then blah, 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 and here I am. All in one sense, because somebody was honest enough to tell me that an essay I wrote was not worthy of anything more than a letter grade F on it. He could have written an A on there, but it would have been an unworthy A. Because I was in a program to learn how to write essays about, I don't even know, a book or something like this. And what I could do and what I actually did was not worthy of a better mark than I got. Now, we are in scriptures transitioning from declarations of the kindness and grace of God towards us in Christ. The letter starts off with Paul thanking that God has loved us enough to predestine us and choose us to be forgiven and adopted as son and has sealed us with his Holy Spirit as a down payment on eternal life in him, promising us an inheritance. He's prayed that we as the church would understand all that Christ is for the church and that we're raised from the dead with him and given a Christ who is the Lord over every power and rule and dominion and throne in the name above all names. He has declared the grace of the gospel that though we were spiritually dead and incapable of doing anything but being led around by Satan and following the course of the world into the wrath and judgment of God, God reached out in grace because of his kindness and riches and glory and saved us despite ourselves, by grace, through faith, so that we have nothing to boast about, but that has, he has also in grace given us good works to do that we might walk in them, and that he has destroyed the dividing line between the Gentiles and the Jews to create a new humanity of one people of God in the world and to spread out this glorious declaration of the unity of the body of Christ and has even given us apostles like Paul who are given the mission of suffering, torture, and near death repeatedly so that Gentiles who don't 
technically belong as a part of the people of God can hear the grace that they're accepted through Christ, the same as Abraham himself, the father of faith, and that we're united by grace in God. And then he ends this section in chapter 3 by praying to the Father and bending the knee before the Father who is the Father over all government and authority, praying that we would have power to understand how much Jesus Christ loves us with this love that is beyond human understanding and saying, praise Him, may all glory and praise be to Him. And then he moves on to the part where we're meant to respond, that we're meant to be trained how to respond rightly to the glorious grace and kindness that we received in Jesus. And this is where it can be a bit funny, because how, if God, if we're unworthy to start off with, and we're only made worthy by grace, how can we be called to respond in a way that's worthy? How does that all work together? In one sense, it's, it's pretty clear. Like, and in another sense, we can get hung up on stuff. So let's try not to get hung up, and let's try to work through this. But what Paul does is he says, he doesn't just say, now that you're saved, earn your salvation. Now that you're forgiven, learn how to never need it to be forgiven. That doesn't make any sense. No, he says, now that you are under the grace and riches of, of kindness in Jesus, and you are children of God, and you are called to a purpose in the body of Christ, it's time to live like it. It's time to walk in a manner according to your calling. And walking is just a metaphor. It's a common metaphor for how you live your life. It's time to live your life worthy of this calling you have from God. Not that you're earning your salvation. Not that you're earning becoming a child of God. Not that you're earning something. You have been given this. And now let's live like people who have been given this. That's what we're moving into in the second half of Ephesians here. So he says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And so really briefly, I want to talk about biblical callings because the word calling gets used a few different ways in the Bible. And I want to just point out three perspectives of the word calling that can be helpful to kind of have in our mind. The first calling is what some people call the effectual calling. It's where God sovereignly calls us from death into life. And we come back from the, from the dead, spiritually. And if you want a picture of what this kind of calling looks like, remember the story of Lazarus. Remember from the Gospel of John, Mary and Martha and Lazarus are best friends with Jesus, and Lazarus gets sick. And Mary and Martha call Jesus, say, he's really sick, like, really, really, really. He's like COVID-intubated sick. He could be a goner. We don't know how, and we're pretty sure he's going to die. Come, Jesus, come quickly and rescue him before he dies of this sickness. And Jesus gets the message, and he thinks to himself, I'm not supposed to get there before he dies. I'm supposed to get there after he dies, so that these people can see the glory of God. They can see my glory. And so Jesus waits two more days, and when he finally shows up, the the mourning period and the grieving period, which would have lasted days and days, is well underway. Could he have healed Lazarus in that moment while Lazarus is still sick? Absolutely. Jesus healed from miles away. There was that one time with the centurion where the centurion tells Jesus, don't come to my house. Jesus is like going to come to the house to heal this servant. The centurion says, don't come. 
I know you have the authority. I tell somebody, jump, they say, how high? I know you have the authority to hear from wherever you are. So you just say the word. And Jesus is like, I like this faith. Go home. He's better. Jesus could have healed Lazarus in a second where he was. Instead, he tarries and then goes because he wants to show the people something. And everyone's so upset, and Mary and Martha are like, why didn't you come earlier? And Jesus says, so you can see the glory of God. And he goes to the tomb, and he calls Lazarus. Lazarus, get out of there. Come forth. And what happens? The impossible happens. Lazarus comes out. He was dead. Dead people don't come out. Unless it's God calling. Our God is the God who looks at complete darkness and says, Light, shine, and the light obeys. And He's the God who goes to spiritually dead sinners like you and me and says, Live! And we live because His call has power. So that's one perspective of calling. There's another way of looking at calling, and that's the calling to the life that a Christian is meant to live. Because of all that God has done. If you're called, you're meant to live a holy life as a Christian. According to the calling you have. You're a son of God. Act like it. You're a daughter of God. Stop acting like a daughter of the devil. You've given, been given the power of prayer. Start, stop living like there's no one in heaven who will listen to you. You've been called to holiness. Stop living in impurity. You've been called to love. Stop living in hate. You've been called. Every Christian has this calling to live life like Jesus because we are in Jesus. And that's the main perspective of what Paul is talking about here. But there's also another calling that Christians sometimes have, which is like a vocational calling. Every Christian is called to love, but not every Christian is called to be an accountant. Thanks the Lord. Every Christian is called to walk by the Spirit, but not every Christian is called to be a mom. Like me. Amen? Every Christian is called to pray. Somebody was praying before in the prayer meeting. Every Christian is called to be patient and to endure with hope and to pray, but not all of us are called to sell houses. Amen? But those are also callings. They're vocational callings. And sometimes we use those those three words, a calling, which is the power of God that calls dead people to life and and just has power. And sometimes a calling is like a calling to be a pastor or a missionary or something like that, that not everybody has. But Paul here is talking about that calling to live as a believer, to live as a disciple of Jesus, to live as a Christian that every Christian has, but that we actually have to do something with. We actually have to be living it. We actually have to make choices and value things and to do things. It's not the kind of calling where God does all the work, like when he saves us. And it's not the kind of calling that's super specific to like one job that pays the bills. It's that calling where we're called to partner with God by learning how to live differently. And yes, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, but having our wills changed and our choices changed. And living differently because we are now different people in Christ. Amen? That's what he says. You have this calling to holiness. And these are perspectives. I don't think you can put a, a line between them. They, they don't, it's not like that. But he's, he's, we're called to this life in Christ. 
And we're meant to live in a life worthy of what we've been called to in Jesus. I want to tell you a story about Scratchy Cat. Ellie? You better be listening. Scratchy Cat had to uh, learn again to live in a manner worthy of his calling. You remember the story of Scratchy Cat, most popular thing I've ever mentioned in a sermon. Scratchy Cat was this wild, feral cat that loved to hide out in the bushes. And whenever Dog and his master came by for their daily walk, Scratchy Cat liked to jump out and do what? Scratch. You know, just really try to get those claws, not in a thick, furry part of Dog, but like in one of the thin parts, like his nose or his eyes or his, or his, or his ears, where he's really going to feel it and just get in there. Scratchy Cat loved to jump out and scratch and then run away and just cause some havoc. One day, Scratchy Cat got hurt, jumped out at the wrong dog and, and got bit and was near death. The master and dog came by and had pity on Scratchy Cat and take him home. And the next time we heard is that dog and, and Scratchy Cat were having a hard time living together. They were, they're different. They're as different as a cat and a dog. And they were having a hard time living together. But master had to approach them and grab them and just say, you're in my house now and you guys are going to learn how to get along because you're, before you're a dog and before you're a cat, you're both my pets and my pets get along. That's first. Well, as time went on, Scratchy Cat got really used to house life. The warm places to sleep, the vents to lay on in winter that got really hot, the steady food, roadkill and gravy, delicious, out of a can, so good. Scratchy Cat started to get a little bit, you know, softer around the belly, not around the legs. You know, cats never get big around the legs. I don't know what it is. They always get big other places. Anyhow. But this was Scratchy Cat was getting used to it. It's kind of an easy life and a comfortable life, steady food, a scratch from the master whenever he wanted it, but he could go hide out in the rafters whenever he didn't want it. And he and Dog were getting along. And if he gave Dog a little nip every once in a while, just for fun, just for love, that was all good. Dog was used to, oh, cat, you know, they, was, they were all getting along. Pretty comfortable times for Scratchy Cat. All of a sudden, Master noticed that there were signs of mice in the, in the house. Those little black pellety things that maybe carry the hantavirus, and little holes in the cereal boxes, and in your your checks or your mini wheats, just kind of little things missing, and the cheese was all disappearing. There were mice in the house. Scratchy cat was like, maybe I should do about it, but I'm pretty comfortable. And one day things came to a head when Scratchy cat was laying on its scratchy pillow with a belly full of scratchy canned cat food and. Master watched as a mouse skittered right in front of Scratchy Cat, and Scratchy Cat did nothing. Master was not pleased with this. So he grabbed Scratchy Cat right in that place that gets Cat's attention, you know, right at the back of the head. I hear you're not supposed to do that, but Master did it, and he can do it because he's a master. And he grabbed Scratchy Cat and looked him right in his slitted eyes and said, Cat, you are a cat. You have teeth so you can bite mice. You have claws so you can claw mice. And you have legs so you can chase mice. And you have a nose so you can smell mice. And you have ears so you can hear mice. Your job is to catch mice. I'm calling you to be a cat. You know what happened? Scratchy cat, it felt like he woke up. 
of a sudden his claws started going in and out like only cats can do. That's crazy. That's one of the best things of cats. Switchblades. They got four switchblades on their hand. How dare you? You should be illegal. The switchblades started coming in and out. And the teeth started this thing to share the linen. And all of a sudden, Scratchy Cat didn't want no roadkill and gravy canned fancy feast anymore. He only wanted to eat things that he had instilled the fear of death into. You know, cats can smell that. They can smell the fear of death in little critters. And he's like, I don't want to eat anything that isn't afraid of me ever again. And the, the hunt got back into Scratchy Cat. He wanted to kill. And all of a sudden, for the next three weeks, every morning, Master found a dead, gnawed, chewed, half-eaten mouse outside of his bedroom door in the morning. And Scratchy Cat, sitting there, proud as a cat, with his contempt for every other living thing, just radiating off of him, showing his trophy. Going, I'm, I'm a real cat. And Master, looking down at him, saying, Well done, cat. Well done. That's why he existed, to kill mice. He was misusing the claws going after a dog. The claws were there to get the mice. Christians, we have a calling from God. And it's almost like God needs to pick us up sometimes sometimes and look us in the face and be like, you're a Christian. Your job is to be a Christian in the world. The only reason I haven't taken you home yet is because I've called you to be a disciple of Jesus and a member of the church and a participant in missions and a contributor to outreach. And to be a Christian dad and to be a Christian mom, that's why you're not dead yet. Because you have a calling. Be who you are. It's time for us to be Scratchy Cat. If you're not going after the mouse, you're going to scratch somebody else. Some of us, we have so much trouble, and it's for this reason. We just don't want to live worthy of the calling. And so we're going after things that aren't the calling, and we're frustrating that we're not getting the calling, and we're upset that other people are getting in the way of the things we don't want that aren't the calling. If you want the calling, you have the calling, you'll get the calling. Do we really think that if we are living worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ, God will let anything get in the way? And do we really think that if we try to disdain the calling and despise the calling, God won't let everything be in the way? Because we exist to live and walk worthy of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here still. And if you read 1 Corinthians, sometimes when people are really persistently not living the calling, he does take them home early. Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. What keeps us from living lives worthy of the calling of Christ? I think one of the big reasons is that we can find it to be a drag. 
because it, it, it's something we ought to do. It's right to live holy with God. It's right to live passionately about Jesus, but we're not always there, and so it can be a bit of a drag. Oh, man, I, oh, man. I'm going to be a Christian today. Oh, what's this going to cost me? Oh, man. There's all this other stuff I wanted to do. It can just feel like a drag. You ever have that? Where it can feel like following Jesus is a drag? It's getting in the way. I know I should be praying. I know I should be reading the Bible. I know I should care about the lost. I know I should be caring about missions. I know I should be contributing to my church. I know I should be doing this, but I just don't want to. That's not okay. Amen? That is a major heart-mind problem that we can't let live with. And what happens is that the master comes and starts grabbing us by the scruff of the neck until he has our attention. Are you being grabbed by anything right now? Are you being grabbed by... Maybe you think it's people. Maybe you think it's situations. Is it the sovereign Lord who's saying, I am not a drag to follow? And my gospel is not a drag to believe. It is glorious life. And something's gotten in the way of you knowing that. Could it be? Maybe? Sometimes? Yes? How about yes? I'm going to go with yes. Sometimes this calling to walk in a manner worthy of Christ, of the gospel, of the glory of God, it can feel for us like it's in direct competition of our plans for ourselves. It rubs up against our selfishness. Amen? Amen? I've got these plans. I want to do these things. I've got, I got this career that I want to pursue. Is it a calling from God? I don't know. I really want to do it. If I ask if it's God's calling for me, he might say no, so I don't ask. I've got stuff I want to do. Another huge thing that I think keeps us from the calling of God, the calling to live like a Christian and to walk the life of discipleship and to be a believer and to act like we are the sons and daughters of God, empowered by the Spirit in this life, is this major conviction we have that we just can't do it. Amen? I can't. I can't. I've tried. I've tried. I can't. It's, it's so hard. I can't do it. And that's actually why I started our passage today with the end of the last paragraph before I came to this, because I didn't want to... You know, there's no, there's no paragraphs in the New Testament. Did you know that? Like, the most oldest manuscripts we have, they don't even have spaces between the words, because papyrus or leather is so expensive, it's like you don't want to waste the space of, of these really expensive pages by having spaces in between your words. So it's just all straight capital letters all the way across. And so when you see a big paragraph break like this, that's, that's not actually in the scripture. That's just for us later readers. So in Paul's head, he goes straight from, praise him who is able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or think according to his power within us. Praise Him! 
live a life worthy of Him. Like that's, that, those are the next breaths. Those could be on the same line in a manuscript originally. He is able to do more than you could ever think because of His glorious power within you. Praise Him, amen. Let's live a life worthy of Him. Does Paul think that we can't do this? No, and yes and no. Yes, if, it, if it's in our own strength, absolutely we can't do this. If we're only looking at ourselves, absolutely we can't do this. If we forget who God is and all He's done, yes, you can't do this. But if you know Him, if you believe, if you have the Spirit, if you believe, yes, you can, of course you can. He raised Jesus from the dead. And He'll raise you too. You guys are all future dead meat raised from the grave. If Jesus tarries, if He doesn't come back... In the next 70 years or 80 years, you guys are really young, let's say 90 years. If he doesn't come back in the next 90 years, he's pulling our corpses out of graves. If he can pull our corpses out of graves and give us eternal life, surely he can change our character, change our hearts, change what we want, make us realize who we are, set our feet on the calling that he's called us to, and help us to love doing it. And overcome our challenges and give us patience in our quote-unquote defeats. Of course he can. He raises the dead. It's just so hard. And we feel weak. Aren't those the two main reasons why we think that this can't happen? It's hard and we feel weak. Anybody? Is it just me? Oh, internet of billions of people on you? Is it just me or are the main reasons because, number one, it's hard, and number two, we feel weak. And we think that if we feel weak, God can't do it. And we haven't learned the secret yet that God doesn't do anything important except through someone who feels weak. (sighs) Having talents, having gifts, having abilities, you have to watch out for these things. Because you can't use your talents right unless you feel weak. You can't use your gifts right unless you feel weak. You can't... Jesus just doesn't do it. He went to the cross to save the world. He destroyed the wisdom of the strong by dying at the hands of the strong. And his church is stuck there until Christ returns. Every important thing God will do in your life will be during a time of weakness, of feeling weak, of feeling you can't do it, feeling like you're going out of the boat and onto the waves, feeling like you're imprisoned and shackled. Of course you can't get free until the earthquake comes. Feeling like you're about to die until the angel shows up and sets you free. That's how it works. You have to feel like you can't do it. And God does it. So we've got to learn to love that. Amen? Like you've got to learn to love the failing because that's when God will show up. You've got to learn to love the difficulty because that's the kind of praying that God answers quickly. Amen? So, so I, I, I think I'm on to something here. I'm not always right, but when I am right, I try to do it in front of a camera. And I've got a camera right now, and so I think I'm onto something here, church. I, I think for us as Canadians and Calvary Chapelites, 
The deepest problem is this. When we feel weak and we feel like we can't, we assume that God can't. Instead of pressing into that and pushing into that, that usually is where God wants to advance the kingdom when we think we can't do it. When you've got the F on the essay and your teacher says, you can do better than this. And we would say, oh, I got an F. I want to quit. And he's saying, no, I want to finally give you resurrection power where you have fallen apart. That's how my life has worked. So, this is how I want to end. And I think the team can start getting ready to come up and we can worship. I hope you feel really weak coming up here and like you don't know what to do. Amen. That's where the anointing is. God pours his anointings into big question marks. Church, this is what I'm calling you to. I, I want to call you to embrace being a disciple again. I want to call you to embrace embrace being a learner. I want to call you to embrace this holy calling of God to be who you are and do what you called to do in Christ Jesus. And to start laying down every excuse and all the hurts and all the reasons not to and the times you quit because it was hard, the times you, you want to quit or you assume that God has quit on you because there's been a failure, there's been a death. Instead of hoping for the resurrection power of God to come in there, I'm, I'm calling you to it. I'm calling us to it as a church to want to be followers of Jesus afresh. And I've even got this affirmation and I think I'm going to put it online so we can have it. We're trying to brainwash Timmy as a family because we want him to believe the truth. And so Jackie does this affirmation routine with him at night. And I've started, I made my my own up. And this is my disciple affirmation for for walking with God in life. It's, It's very simple and you can join it with me in it. Jesus is Lord and he loves me. Today I'm in training And the Spirit is my strength. It is an honor to lay down my life. And the Father will reward me. These are just simple truths for disciples. Jesus is Lord. And he loves me. Today, I am in training. And the Spirit is my strength. It is an honor to lay down my life. And my Father, he will reward me. Jesus is the Lord, and he loves me. Today, I am in training to be more like him. And the Holy Spirit is my strength. It is a glorious honor to lay down your life for Jesus. And my heavenly Father will reward me. Church, we need a ton of truth to walk in the calling of God, and he will do it for us. Amen. Why don't we worship him?